Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Dharma Realm Podcast. Live! Live from the Kodo at the Jodo Shinchu Center here in Berkeley, California. And we're very excited to have this opportunity to uh, do this with other people in the room besides ourselves. And this is actually where all the podcasts are done. Uh, but usually we're there in the middle of the room and it's just the two of us on the afternoon, and so this is very exciting. So thank you all for coming. So what are you going to talk about? <laughs> um, we can start in a lot of different places. We've already gotten some questions online. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got the Twitter feed open. We got the Twitter feed open. Somebody wants to know if we could address the Pure Land itself, what it is, how it is different or not from heaven, and maybe some of the debates about whether there is a substantive Pure Land or if it's just mind only, quote unquote. That's a good one, and that's yeah. one that I think is, is um, not an easy question to answer, but it's also important to, uh, for a variety of reasons, it's important to address this issue of what is the Pure Land, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's important because we're Pure Land Buddhism, or we're a school of Pure Land Buddhism, <laughs> so we have to have some idea uh, why that is and what role uh, that plays in the, in the um, religious life, right? So. Yeah, but it's a huge question. Yes. What the Pure Land, Pure Land is. I have no idea. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm jokingly saying I have no idea as if, um, as if I have never been there. Right? Ah, right, right, right. Um, I can't know what it's like because I've never been there, but I'm, I'm being facetious because I don't know if I personally believe that the Pure Land is uh, a quote-unquote real place. Uh-huh. Which I think is the, the basic question here, right? Is the Pure Land a real place? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's is, one of the issues. Yeah, is it a, a literal place where we actually go and we die? And I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. I'm remaining agnostic. Okay, you good choice. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of one of the issues, huh? Is the Pure Land a place? Because it's definitely written about like it is a place, right? And especially when you're a student and you take like three Pure Land Sutras class. Right? And you have to read the Pure Land Sutras, and there's a lot of writing about what the Pure Land looks like, right? And um, these very, um, I don't like to say sensual, because that means something else now, but in terms of the senses, right? And that, that it, 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 it's visual, right? It's audible, right? With the, so the visual side would be all the gems and all the... Uh, trees and flying pavilions and uh, bodhisattvas and all these people, but then also the, the audio kind of sense, right, with the, the sounds, right, and the wind when it blows through the trees, it makes these, um, these music that brings to mind the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Um, there's taste, right, because when you're hungry, mm. you just think about food and it appears, Right? So there's definitely a, a, a taste um, aspect to it. So it does, I think, and, and um, probably touch, too, because when you want um, a, to take a bath, right, the water, you just step in a pool and the water rises up and it's just the right temperature and everything. So all this very kind of, um, and so that's what I mean by sensual, right? That it it's involves all the senses. It's spatial. It appears to be spatial, right? That it has a spatial dimension uh, that... Uh, you can probably go to different places, and it talks about the hills aren't too too big too or too hilly. small. Yeah, it's not too mountainous or anything. It's just right. Everything's just right about it. Uh, but it definitely uh, appears to have... Uh, A certain reality to it. Yeah, reality, 
certain reality. A certain reality. I like that. <laughs> a certain reality. That's a good name for a movie or something. <laughs> um, but that's kind of a clue, I think, huh? A clue to what? To what it's like, that it has a certain reality, mm. right? It's not like that was all a lie. It was all a joke. We didn't mean it. Right? We didn't mean all that stuff in the sutras about that stuff. Right? I think that to a certain extent, um, those aspects of it are really important. Um, what do you mean by that? Because, well, you want the short answer? No. My short answer? <laughs> sure yeah, yeah, sure. Then we'll work backwards. <laughs> uh, to me, the short answer for Shinran is he quotes um, Shandao. Right, one of the Chinese Pure Land masters, and says that uh, the Pure Land is the realm of nirvana, the uncreated. Just in case you weren't sure what nirvana was, it's the uncreated. It's, it's, it's enlightenment. It's beyond cause and effect. It's beyond uh, this material kind of reality. It's beyond even the mental reality of, of karma and of samsara. Right? So it, it's nirvana, basically. It's awakening. But, he's, he, but it's not, he doesn't say the Pure Land is awakening itself. He says the Pure Land is the realm of nirvana, which is kind of a paradox, right? How can, does nirvana have space? Is it, is it um, bounded, right, that we could talk about it in terms of space? So to me, that's kind of, it's pointing towards that the Pure Land isn't some like heaven. It isn't some place out in the western direction that we could look on a map or on a GPS or something and, and locate it and then head in that direction and get there kind of thing, right? But that there is a spatial metaphor to it, right? This western direction or um, that, it, that it seems like a place with all this stuff in it, right? And so I think that this idea of, of the realm of nirvana is really interesting because it's maintaining that spatial kind of aspect of it. It's, it's not uh, just getting rid of that because I think that those images are so important to the tradition for thousands of years. But um, at the same time, it's something more than just some place, some, some heaven or something, some special place that we could go to. Um, the this, problem- This is your short answer? Yeah, that's the short answer. <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Sorry. the problem still becomes, do we, why, what, what do we, do we need it? Does it, is it, it's still important for us now. Does it resonate with us in the 21st century, right, as Buddhists? Is it um, kind of an embarrassing part of our tradition that, ah, Pure Land, yeah, they talk about it, but we're not going to mention that so much. And, we'll, you know, is the Pure Land, um, this idea of the Pure Land, something that just doesn't resonate with us anymore, that we need to get rid of it? I mean, that's been kind of what we've been hinting at, it seems like, um, or I've been hinting at. I was going to say we. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of the Pure Land. I really want okay. to go there. <laughs> okay. It sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the other aspect of it, um, that birth in the Pure Land doesn't mean that you go there and you're, you're just happy and you can relax and, and just have fun and forget about everyone in samsara, right? That going to the Pure Land means attaining Buddhahood. Going to the Pure Land means then returning, the returning aspect that Shinran talks about, coming back um, here uh, to, act, to do Buddha activity, bodhisattva activity, um, for those people who are still unawakened, unenlightened. Right, right, which I think is, is all joking aside, uh, I think that it would be awesome to go to the Pure Land as if, it, as if it were a real place, but I think that that's beside the point. Mm. That 
it's an interesting sort of academic or intellectual discussion to have about the metaphorical aspects of the Pure Land and what all that means, but that's not the point of the Pure Land. The point of the Pure Land is that it's the realm of enlightenment and then you return to this world. Mm -hmm. So it seems as if we're sort of hung up on what the Pure Land is when we should be talking about what is the point of going to the Pure Land and how that affects coming back mm -hmm. and how that affects our lives here, not in the Pure Land. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep. Did I just blow your mind? <laughs> you tried. <laughs> I'll try again later. <laughs> um, there's another aspect, too, of, of um, and I don't even know if I want to bring this up, but when are we born in the Pure Land? Right? When does birth in the Pure Land occur? Um, I think is another uh, really important aspect of this that comes up sometimes. And I think the traditional answer is that we're born in the Pure Land at death. Mm -hmm. So it seems it's kind of like an afterlife idea, after this life, right? We go to this other kind of existence. Um, so that's one way to understand it, that we're in this life and we're foolish beings, unenlightened beings. Uh, when we die, we're then born in the Pure Land and then come back as Buddhas. It's one understanding. Right. But there's another understanding that when we attain Shinjin, we're born in the Pure Land. Right? That birth in the Pure Land occurs at the time of the attainment of Shinjin. That birth in the Pure Land occurs in some way uh, here, now, while still um, in this form. Right? And this comes from the uh, Sokutoku Ojo, I think is one of the expressions, right? instantly attain birth. Um, when someone attains Shinjin, you instantly attain birth. So uh, that can get interpreted as instantly attain birth now, somehow, whatever that means, or uh, it gets glossed and becomes, you're instantly attained the assurement of birth in the Pure Land, the, 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 um, that you will absolutely attain birth in the Pure Land when you die. Yeah, that's, that's the part that always confuses me. Yeah, me too. That's why I didn't <laughs> want to bring it up. Um, one of the other um, parts you're of You're supposed it, to have the answers on these ones. <laughs> no, I, don't, I can't give just can't the answer. There's no the answer, right? Um, but the other aspect, too, is what does death mean, right? Is it some spiritual death of the old me, and then I'm reborn into kind of a new self uh, with the attainment of Shinjin, and that implies, so then, the yes, it's um, birth in the Pure Land at the moment of death, but not physical death, but spiritual death, and that we're reborn. And that comes, I think we definitely hear that language in Zen, some forms of Zen, right? That, um, this, that uh, there's kind of a spiritual death and then a reawakening um, with, with more of an um, awakened uh, existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't dug into that so much. I haven't looked for that. I personally, I've never read Shinran that way and kind of looked at the, um, this idea of a spiritual kind of death. Yeah. I think you'd have to dig into like Kyogyo Shinsho and stuff like that and look for, look for even that notion of um, attainment of Buddhahood at the instant of death. I mean, those, those passages can, aren't easy to find. You know, they're, they're kind of buried in, in various sections. So. so I think that's a really important issue, though, for modern Shinshu is uh, what is that, that idea? Well, that's a part of the Pure Land, huh? Right, right. So then do you think that modern Shinshu needs to rethink how it's talking about these things? I think it already is, uh -huh. whether we like it or not. It's, it's, I mean, these conversations are happening. These understandings are uh, out there. Mm -hmm. huh. And so it transforms the life of 
the practitioner, I think, right? If, if I can say, wow, you know, I've, um, I've, I've, my life has been transformed. I've, you know, I've gone through this spiritual experience and, and um, maybe it's Shinjin and maybe I've attained some form of birth in the Pure Land. I mean, that would be amazing because then the understanding is, right, you practice Buddha activity in this life now. Um, so, I mean, it's potential for transformative experience and for uh, engaged Buddhist action, right? Uh, uh, social action and um, kind of addressing, you know, how you live your life uh, is profound. Mm. Yeah. I thought you're not supposed to say that you've gotten Shenzhen. That's another issue. That's the Shenzhen question. So we, we shouldn't even get into the Shenzhen yeah. question. Not, <laughs> let's, let's not, not touch that one for now. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there later. All right. Has Have anyone we, Twitter, tweeted? No. No. <laughs> no one's paying attention to us anymore. <laughs> We're on our own up here. Okay. <laughs> I don't mind. All right. So that's the, that's the way we usually answer a question. In a long-winded way of not answering the question. Well, I don't want to. What's yeah? I don't want to say we answer questions. <laughs> I think we address questions. Mm. Yeah. For me, it's been good to. Um, uh, I mean, that's part of what I like about teaching and having like live students in front of me is because if I just sit around and think about stuff, then I can think of whatever I want. And even as a minister, I can get up and say whatever I want. And generally, people won't challenge me. They won't say, Sensei, you know what you said about, about that? You know, I don't think you're right. I think you're completely wrong. You know, nobody says that to me, for the most part. But when I have students, whether they're IBS students or uh, MAP students or whatever, then they're like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what the heck are you talking about? Where did you find that? And so that's great. I think that's really, really um, important uh, for me. And it, it, it forces me to uh, question my own understanding. Uh, and I think that's good because if you just accept your own understanding and don't allow, uh, don't uh, allow it to be questioned, right? Don't allow for the possibility you might be wrong. Then you can go in completely wrong directions, or just be shut off from other from growth. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think the the ability to wrestle with the hard, difficult questions is what helps us really grow and and develop ourselves spiritually, emotionally, whatever. I mean, I think it's very important to hear criticism or hear other people's points of view, even the uncomfortable ones that we don't agree with, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. the ones we don't agree with. Yeah. Because those are the ones that really challenge us. Right. If it makes you uncomfortable, that's good. Yeah. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not the easy path. Oh, yeah. wait, it is the easy path. <laughs> <laughs> Academia is not the easy path. <laughs> no, I meant, I, meant, I meant pure land. It's supposed to be the easy path. <laughs> What do you people think about the Pure Land? This concept of the we should, Pure Land. We should do a poll of who thinks it's literally true. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could do that. Other, everyone will go other. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> literally true, symbolically true, or other? <laughs> I mean, that's the uncomfortable part, talking about the Pure Land. Like, so I, I just went to um, City Zen Center in San Francisco like about a month ago and talked about Jodo Shinshu. And then two nights ago, I was in Green Gulch uh, at the Zen Center there, giving like, talk about Jodo Shinshu in an hour, go! <laughs> you know, and just trying to, you know, what do you talk about? And I, I tried to, um, I guess I started in India and looked at growth of Mahayana Buddhism and, you know, how the Pure Land 
what it's based in and the sutras and Mahayana Buddhism and then brought it through visualization and name recitation, China, Japan, Kamakura period, ended up, and then the Tokugawa period with um, no debate and then Meiji period and Japanese American people coming here and 1899 start, you know, Buddhist Streets of America is not that name yet, but they form. And then here we are kind of thing. And, but I don't know if I even talked about the Pure Land. Yeah, I must have talked about the Pure Land. But sometimes when you're talking about, especially like the Zen people, then it can be almost embarrassing. Do I even want to say that? But I think it's true. You know, yeah, and we believe, you know, the, or the Pure Land, you know, the belief that if you uh, say this Buddha's name or if you don't do certain things, you'll be born in this Pure Land. And then you see him kind of looking like, yeah, whatever, you know, <laughs> this is the Pure Land or something, you know. And so it's a place where you go to do Buddhist, Buddhist you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, um, potentially embarrassing, I guess, when you think about it as this place, right, that I, somehow this form, will go somewhere else and be like magically born in a lotus or something, right, and, and um, doing whatever bodhisattva practices and listening to Dharma talks from a Buddha, from Amida Buddha, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it is important to... Uh, you think it's embarrassing? It can be. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> If they think of it as a heaven, yeah, you know, and then but then if you think of it more as a Buddha land, mm-hmm. as like the realm of a Buddha's awakening, then it kind of makes not more sense, I guess. But but it's got, and then it, you get into different ideas. What what does Buddha mean? Right. right. Uh, it's interesting because I had a similar experience when I told my uh, my my mom and my stepdad about Buddhism, and I was getting into Shin Buddhism, and they said what. What's Shin Buddhism? And I went to that whole thing about saying the name, and um, all you got to do is say the name ten times, and you're magically reborn in this other land. And they said, "Cool, it sounds so easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all you got to do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were into it. <laughs> 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 um, but I also had a similar experience. I was asked to give a talk at um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Buddhist Sangha mm-hmm. last January, I think. Um, and had a similar experience where most of those guys were were Zen or, or Theravada and got into the Pure Land stuff and you know lots of glazed eyes. And during the question and answer, there were lots of questions of, you know, so is the Pure Land just heaven? I don't I don't get it. And and I so I, I understand that that feeling of trying to muddle your way through an appropriate answer. Sometimes it's easier just to change the subject. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is embarrassing. That's depressing. Well, maybe because it is challenging, it is good. Yeah. Right? That, that um, uh, well, you said a certain reality. Is that the term you used? Yes. We're going to have to go back and listen. I think you said a certain, a certain reality, right? Right. And that I think it's easy for us to say, oh, come on, we're in the 21st century. Um, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. That's, it's fairy tales. It's like, it's myth. It's just come on, we can't possibly believe in that. We have to bring this into the 21st century and, and get rid of these old-fashioned notions. They don't resonate with people anymore, you know. And in one way, I think that's true. But in another way, are we that smart or great that we can say we know what's right and wrong, we know what people will like, we know what's good and bad, and that we can just get rid of it? You know, and I don't, I don't want to go that far to, to completely reject uh, the, this idea. Maybe it's a symbol, maybe not. You know, maybe it's a myth pointing at some deeper reality. Uh, maybe it's just a myth that um, people could buy into in the past and they can't now. You know, I'm not really sure. Um, but I, would, I think I would, uh, I definitely don't want to reject 
and, and just completely get rid of the, um, the idea of a pure land. But it is important to uh, be aware of the different kinds of understandings, too. Right. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that we should reject all interpretations of the pure land. I think that we should embrace different perspectives on it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there is a sort of mythological or psychological interpretation of the pure land uh, story, but that's not true for everybody. A lot of people believe it in a very literal way and that maybe they're right. Right, like you were saying, like, are we so arrogant as to assume that just because we're smart, modern, 21st century scientific people that we sort of know what's going on in the world. Well, you know, for the most part, I, you know, obviously science, science is really cool. Look at all the stuff we have. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, we don't know everything. And I think we need to be open to different perspectives on certain realities. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a certain reality to the Pure Land, even if it, whatever that means, who knows? Mm -hmm. And to be open to those different perspectives. And so I think also this idea of a certain reality um, to me, makes me kind of think of the idea that, well, how real is this? Hmm. If we're really Buddhist, can we really buy into this reality? Right? Is this reality so special and great that we need to um, make this the absolute uh, center of our life? Right? And isn't Buddhism kind of questioning this reality as well and making us question, you know, is, is this stuff permanent, right? Is this stuff so permanent and real and so great that we need to really worry about this stuff, stuff so much, this reality so much? Is yeah, myself yeah. really that important, right? I think Buddhism is always asking us to question this reality. So even this is only a certain reality. There is, it's not that there's nothing, Right? I, don't, I'm not, I don't believe that Buddhism completely negates um, this reality, but it wants us to think about it in a different way or from different perspectives and to realize that a lot of this reality is because of my delusions, hmm. and a lot of this reality is because of my attachments, and a lot of this reality is because of my uh, ignorance about the way things really are. So I think that things are a certain way. Right. So. Um, it's kind of interesting, huh? Because then we can say, well, maybe the Pure Land has a certain reality. But then again, so does this place. Yeah, but this place also wow. then is only a certain reality. See, now you're blowing my mind. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. Come on. I mean, I was just reading, because um, I always try to go back to the, uh, the um, foundational teachings, like Eightfold Path, Four Noble Truths. And so I found this book on the Eightfold Path. But at the end, it has a part on the three Dharma marks, right? The three marks of all things, impermanence, uh, suffering and no self, right? And so uh, it was really interesting, you know, he's saying, well, if usually you attach it, you attack it first from the idea of impermanence. And not only that all things will eventually run down and break and die, but that, no, everything is momentary. All things really are only this momentary existence, and then it leads to the next momentary existence, leads to the next momentary existence. And so if you can gain insight into that, then you realize, why am I attaching to this stuff? Why attach to this or that, this feeling or that thing or this person, right? Why attach to it? Because it's only all these momentary things and it's made up of all these discrete elements that only seem like the thing that I'm really attached to, right? And so then that's the suffering aspect and you realize, aha, uh -huh, I, if I attach to these things and think that they're permanent and real and so special and important, then I'm creating suffering. And then you realize then too that, aha, uh -huh, the self as well.
that um, all things and the self are fundamentally uh, do not have that uh, existence that um, seemed so important. So if you can come to that from asking a question about the Pure Land, I guess it's a good thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs>